Hello, everyone. Welcome to Coop Jester, where we ask the big question, what should I do with my life? Enjoy. Hi, it's Dustin from Coop Jester. In my chat today with Roger Nairn, co-founder and CEO of Jar Audio, we do a podcast about podcasts. Now, Jar Audio constructs podcasts specifically for brands, helping them to accelerate their impact and build meaningful connections with their audiences. Jar's client base is deep and wide, and here's just a small slice of the listening experiences they offer. The Disruptors by RBC, Expedia's Outtravel the System, and Life on the Spectrum for Autism BC. Roger talks about how Jar Audio came to be and the one piece of advice he has for the hosts and guests of their programs. So here he is. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Good afternoon, Roger. Thank you for being on Coop Jester. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So to get things started off, how would you classify what you do? Are you a purveyor of fine podcasts or more of a podcast sommelier? Hmm. I'm more of a purveyor of fine podcasts, uh, okay. but I definitely dabble in being a podcast sommelier. Being in the production side of things, I am building them every day, but at the same time, I need to keep my ear on what's going on. Although I wish I had more time to do more of that, but I am quite good at recommending podcasts to those that need them. It's been o- at least over a decade since you and I met selling photocopiers, but then Jar Audio came to be. Mm -hmm. So how did it come to be and what insight led you to see that something might be in the audio space? I left Xerox because I got a lot of really great sales experience, but I had a real passion for the advertising world. At the time, I didn't have any of that experience and I didn't have that education. Uh, So I went back to school, went to BCIT. I got my certificate in marketing communications. After that, I ended up in the advertising world for 20 plus years working for a a range of different agencies, always on the client service side of things. So managing big accounts. I worked for big agencies like DDB, one of the world's largest and most famous. I led accounts for clients like Netflix. I led work for Four Seasons Hotels. But I always had this itch to do something on my own. At the time, I was doing something similar to what you're doing right now, where I, I had a podcast that I was really passionate about I used it as an excuse to meet really interesting people and ask them a lot of questions that I always wanted to ask. I was dabbling in and out of that, having a lot of fun. And one night I met up with some friends of mine for a drink and we started batting around the idea of taking my agency experience and somehow rolling that into the podcast world. My other partner at the time came from the broadcast world as both traditional and digital broadcaster and he was heavily into podcasting. And then my other partner came from the journalism world, working for CBC for many decades in the National Film Board, and knew how to tell an amazing story in audio form. So we said, let's create a business where we can essentially build an agency type model, but serving clients and helping them build their podcasts for them. We knew at the time that businesses were starting to dabble in podcasts, but quite honestly, a lot of them were struggling. Before we parted that evening, I said to everyone, listen, I've tried to start businesses in the past. I always procrastinated the hell out of them and got nothing off the ground. I would spend months thinking about what the business card should look like and whether we should have a retail location. <laughs> you know, yeah. can I swear on this? 
yeah, it was means, all it yeah. was all bullshit. It was all bullshit. okay. It, it was That's all just a popular pure, swear word on this show. Actually, it was all pure <laughs> procrastination, and I was only yeah. doing it because I was afraid of trying. And so I said to yeah. to Jen and Aaron, my partners. I'm not going to do this unless we put the minimum viable product out in the world and see if there's any interest at all. And if there is, then we'll just kind of slowly start building. And so that's what we did. That evening, I went home and I sent out 10 messages on LinkedIn to people that were loosely in my community, but not necessarily best friends. I said, hey, we've got this crazy idea for a company. Is this of any interest? And I shit you not, the first person that responded back said, it's not of interest to me, but it's of interest to my wife. She's actually looking for this exact service. Are you free to come in on Thursday? The company was Sage Natural Wellness. We were in their office on that Thursday. We sat down and had a great conversation with them. As soon as the meeting ended, we parted ways. I got an, an email back from them saying, can you please provide us with pricing? Can you please provide us with <laughs> a website? We can learn more information about you. And oh, by the way, what's the name of your company? True story, we had none of that because we were literally building the plane as we fly it and just kind of pushing it out in the world and seeing there was interest. Well, clearly there was interest. So in the car ride home, we had to come up with a name. The first idea we had was Jar Audio, which I'm embarrassed, but somewhat proud to say stands for Jen, Aaron, and Roger. I gathered it was it was an acronym <laughs> for first names or last we, names. We threw some pricing out there. And that evening, I built a Squarespace website. I made our first logo on Canva. It was all legitimate as far as a vision of what and what our services was going to be. But it was all thrown together then. And you know what? We ended up working with Sage for about three years. They were our first client. You know, we're well established now and, and our phone is ringing off the hook, but uh, we're still building that plane as we fly it. <laughs> Sorry, that was a long one, but we see the incredible value in podcasts uh, as a medium in general, as an entertaining medium, as an education medium, as, as just a really great way to spend your time. For the most part, it's, it's just really great storytelling that happens to be in a podcast. And we believe that it can also come from a brand. There's no reason why a brand can't tell a great story as well. And so there's breaking a lot of one of our rules, which is like, don't let the guests just ramble on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. It's, and that's a good ramble. Taking the example of Sage and a prospective mm -hmm. client wants to do a podcast because they believe it's going to be good for the brand. Is it simply your job to execute the technical aspects of their vision or take a general premise and idea? and create a show from the ground up? 90% of the time, we build the show from the ground up. Either way, we start all of our engagements with quite an intensive strategy process up front. You know, pre-COVID, we would fly to New York or Toronto or LA, wherever the client was, and conduct a couple days uh, workshop. Now we break it up into, you know, three to four sessions over a Zoom. And we really dig into who your audience is, what do they need, and how can you deliver that need? We then build up a series of concepts. We also like to stay very collaborative. So when I say together, I mean, it's a lot of back and forth and, hey, how do you feel about this? And how do you feel about that? And what do you think about this host? And could this be a good option? And, you know, we develop a story arc. We develop a season arc together and really craft how the production is going to happen, but also how the season is going to roll out and then how the show is going to be marketed, you know, how the show is going to be launched. And then how are we going to build and ramp up that audience growth and sustain it for X amount of months, depending on 
how long our season is and how long our relationship is. And there's a lot of different factors and variables that go into everything we do. And and nothing we do is cookie cutter and, and sort of off the shelf. Everything is bespoke. So what can a brand do with a podcast that it can't do with, say, through social media or a website? And then in terms of a brand's voice, like if we're looking at Sage, for example, or Lululemon or Expedia, the brands we've worked with, do the rules a brand inherently follows for press releases, social posts, or ads also apply to a podcast? So as far as what it can do for a brand, I mean, there's the content side of things, and then there's the medium itself. So starting from a medium standpoint, podcasts are portable. Podcasts are typically, you know, enjoyed over the course of an hour to two hours on someone's individual time. Very few people listen to podcasts with others unless you're driving and whoever you're driving with have agreed on a podcast to listen to. But it's generally a very personal experience. And because of that, the engagement rate of a podcast is far and away better than any other medium. Beats video, it beats radio, it beats all sorts of different uh, web applications. At Jar Audio, like our clients see upwards of 90 to 95% of a listen-through rate on a 20 to 30-minute episode. And that's times, you know, 6 to 10 to 12 episode season, sometimes 24. So, I mean, just from a peer engagement rates, it, it's unmatched. You're not going to get that with a blog post. You're not going to get that with, even with video these days, you know, the, the average watcher rate, I think, on a YouTube video is something like 45%. And that was last year's number. I don't know what it is now. So you're just going to get a much richer and deeper en- engagement opportunity. Getting into sort of the content side of it, it allows the brand to have more nuanced, sometimes emotional, oftentimes uh, helpful conversations with their audience. It's not an advertisement. It can never be an advertisement. Again, you know, thinking about the listener first, what is it that they need in the world right now? And then how can the brand deliver it? And if you can do that in a consistent, well done and respectful way, respectful meaning like you're respecting their time, then they reward you with a great connection. Like you just don't get that level of intimacy and emotional connection that you, you know, through a blog post, you do get that sometimes through video. However, video is not portable. You can't really watch a video while cutting the grass or washing the dishes. And then when you get into like the production of it, when you compare what it takes to produce video compared to audio. Audio is a simpler medium. Um, There's obviously varying levels of production quality and what goes into it. But when you're looking at video and you're thinking about lighting and location and wardrobe and all that sort of stuff, compared to audio, which can be a little bit more on the fly and is also easier to edit, can be quite simpler. This is not my original thought by any means. Is the podcast experience going back to those days on the tundra where we're sitting around a fire in the dark and just sharing stories? Because you think it has anything to do with that? Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I, I do think it has something to do with that. But I'll, I'll take it a step further. And again, going back to my comment about intimacy, like when you're listening to a podcast and you've got your earbuds in, somebody's literally whispering this in your ear right now. Say that a little deeper. That was really good. You're, it's like I'm telling you the secret right now that, that nobody else is telling you. And you know, yes, there could be thousands and thousands of other people listening to the same episode, but in that moment, you feel like you're the only one. And if brands are providing as much value and as much information as possible that's of use to the listener, you, you feel like you're being given almost like a private lecture. You're being given an insight into some really great information. 
and it's not broadcast across the airwaves where you just know that everybody's listening to the same thing and everybody's, even though it is in a lot of ways, like when we think about broadcast, we think about TV and radio and all that sort of stuff. You know, that's typically called sort of a push medium. You're pushing it out through the airwaves and less and less, but usually you got to be sitting in front of your TV at, you know, eight o'clock at night on Sunday to watch 60 Minutes. With the podcast, you're pulling in that information on your own time. It could be three o'clock in the morning and you're listening to this episode because you want to learn something about, you know, you want to learn something about financial education or whatever. So you're going to turn on the Van City podcast or you're going to want to learn about the future of the Canadian economy and you turn on RBC's Disruptors podcast. But at the same time, there is this element of like sharing stories and that's always going to be the case with podcasts. That's always going to be something that people are drawn to. To what level do you want the host with their opinions, insights, or knowledge about the subject matter to be involved? It really depends. It depends on the type of show. And we have this conversation all the time is, you know, if it's a show where the guest is really going to be the star, then you don't want the the host to be dominating the conversation. You just want the host to be a Sherpa, helping the listener along being the advocate for the listener, asking the questions that you probably think the listener is thinking to themselves like, oh, I really wish they could dig in more into this. But then you have your other shows where you know the host has an incredible wealth of knowledge or they're a celebrity or they have a reason for there being a light shining on them. And so you play that up a little bit more. But again, it's, it's it very much depends on the type of show and there's no real sort of recipe other than what's right for, for what the listener needs. And I keep going back to what does a listener need and really digging into. That's why like we really believe in like, spending as much time up front on the strategy side. It might sound boring to most people and some and for some people it is because it's not a podcast yet, but spending as much time into what your audience needs, who that audience is, what they need and and how can you deliver it. That will then be almost like the brief for what the podcast or how the podcast should be created. And so it actually helps your decision making so much more. So if you are coming up with the debate of, you know, what sort of role the host should lead, you then go back to your brief and go, what is, you know, what does the audience need? And then sort of make those decisions that way. Tell me what it means to think like a broadcaster. To think like a broadcaster is, hmm. so I mean, we're so used to creating content and distributing it as wide as possible. And when you're a broadcaster, you're really zeroed in on creating and crafting content that is right for the listener. And because of the nature of mediums like podcasts that have a little less of a a ramp up time, we can create content that's a little more in the now, a little more in the, the zeitgeist to really respond to, again, the needs of the listener. So do you have an example from your stable of podcasts where you've done that? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of our clients is Expedia. And as you can imagine, Expedia has gone through quite a a lot over the last year and a half with the pandemic being, you know, one of the world's leaders in travel. When we first started working with them, the show was meant to help travelers navigate the online travel space or or just the travel space in general. Um, But then the pandemic hit and everything got turned on its head and we listened to our audience and the audience told us that they just need a lot of clarity and they need a lot of help in now navigating 
COVID's travel world. <laughs> and so we pivoted the show to be very much in line with, with those needs. I mean, they were getting inundated with customer service calls, a lot of online inquiries. And so the podcast was actually a nice sort of resource tool for the company to answer some of the questions that people had. Questions like cancellations, what do you do with refunds? Um, when's it safe to go to Disneyland with my family? Uh, when's it safe to go to Europe? Uh, what's the travel situation like in Europe? And vice versa, what's it like getting home? And, and so it became this really tailored custom tool that allowed the company to speak quite naturally about something that they know about in an entertaining way that met the needs of of their audience. I remember back to the days, and I don't know if you had this experience, but when you're first introduced to public speaking sometime <laughs> in elementary school, say maybe grade five or six, and there's so much focus on posture details, like don't <laughs> fidget, make good eye contact, project your voice to the back. But it was a whole list of things of what not to do. <laughs> and as a kid, it just takes the joy out of what can be a really fun experience. Yeah. And it just ramps up self-consciousness. Right. But then as an adult, I heard this amazing piece of advice. It says, just speak about something you're really into mm -hmm. and the technical stuff will take care of itself. Would you give some similar advice? It's a bit of a tough question to answer because everything is very much dependent on the type of show we're talking about. Now, generally, if we're talking about our hosts, they're going to talk about a, a you know, subject matter that they know and understand. But we also have guests that, that are on these shows that we have pre-interviewed to determine the best questions to ask. And right. so I'm not saying that we don't keep things as loose and free as possible, which we do, but we also do have a bit of a guideline, much like if you're giving a speech, you know, you might have some bullet points of things you want to make sure you're covering. So I want to say that keep things as loose as possible. But if you do have some points to make, make sure you're making those points. Yeah. Um, and so it never hurts to have some sort of rules of the road of how the conversation should go or how the conversation should be structured so that there is a little bit of consistency in your episodes and the listener becomes comfortable with what that consistency is. I would avoid a complete, you know, free form structure. I mean, it works for some. There's a few podcasts I can think of that are loose like that. I think the biggest tip I would give that is perhaps a little bit different than speaking publicly, but when you're speaking publicly, you've got, you know, a hundred people in the audience that you can see. And I mean, while we're talking right now, technically there's going to be hundreds of people that are listening to the show. However, I can't see them, but I always encourage whoever is going on a podcast or whoever is hosting a podcast to just think about one person. Think about you having a conversation with one person and just focus on communicating to that one person. And don't think about the fact that that one person is going to be duplicated, you know, X amount of times with the audience. As podcasters, are we all just our own version of the lunatic in the town square prophesizing about the end of the world? <laughs> well, are you prophesizing about the end of the world or are you talking about a subject matter that you're interested in? I think it's great. There is such a low barrier to, to entry in the podcast space. And so I think it's great that everyone's jumping in. I equate it to blogging or even some you know different social channels where there's literally a topic covered on everything. And that's okay because 
for the most part, there's going to be an audience for those topics. Anything that is as niche as possible is it automatically sets you up for opening yourself and your understanding and education around a certain topic to a new community of people. If it's rambling about a specific topic and you're passionate about it and there's a consistency to it and you're really into speaking about wooden Dutch shoes and you want to create a whole show just about that, then go ahead and, and deliver the information or, or have a conversation that they need on that topic. Oh, the Dutch wooden shoe, by the way, is a really great breakfast spot on Canby. I don't know if you've been That's there. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe they need a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can really do something with virtually no production budget. Yeah. And that immediately puts you in the competitive space of all the professionals and the shows at the top of their game. You're competing against networks, celebrities who already have a following from their connections. How do you outflank this? Is, yeah. there, is such a competitive landscape a positive or a negative? It's a positive uh, in the sense of a rising tide raises all boats. It, your work is more difficult because you have to work harder. They have built up equity in, in themselves and their audience and they're leaning on that. You're starting from scratch. Again, it comes down to who your audience is and what sort of value you're delivering to that audience. And if you can just continue to deliver incredible value, and, and only you're going to know what that is, but value can also be in the form of a well-produced show that is marketed properly and really, you know, out there as, as much as possible. And that's going to take time and effort. You know, then you have a great chance. Um, but longer the days when you can post your your podcast and and have it go viral just on its name and and you have to you have to market it properly. You have so to put on that broadcaster hat. If this was a Netflix special, how would I market this? How would I get this into the, the audience's ears that I'm looking to attract? It's it's time and effort for sure. You know, not everyone's lucky enough to have a team like myself and but it's also not anything that anybody who is really in love with their craft and, and their topic and that passion. It's nothing that those people can't do. Much like when you know you see people with a really great TikTok account or it all comes down to uh, dedication and, and love and passion of, of whatever that medium is and having a crystal clear understanding of who your audience is and what's going to get their attention and what's going to be of value to them and then just keep hammering on that. How do you feel about cuss words in a show? I hate to be a broken record, but it's again, it really comes down to the show. I'm a big advocate for being as real and honest and raw as possible. And so if that's you and if that's what comes out of your mouth and that's what comes out of your, you know, your guest's mouth, then they're probably being, you know, as close to their true and honest self in the in the moment. And I think that's great. As far as your listeners go. Again, that's, you know, it's an opportunity for you to ask them, what do you think? And, and they'll tell you. But as far as a set sort of rule, I definitely don't have one. In one of your presentations, and by the way, the JAR Audio resources are fantastic. Oh, so I, I highly recommend getting on your email JARAudio.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll link it all to the show notes. But in one of your presentations, you reference the uh, Armchair Expert and Revisionist History because they're both very different. But mm -hmm. what, in your opinion, makes them so good? I mean, I think the one thing about Armchair Expert is Dax Shepard, for those that haven't listened to the show. Dax Shepard's a, a comedian and actor and 
he's one of those guys that's just so naturally curious and really just respects the listener who themselves are probably thinking to themselves, you know, what are some of the things I've always wanted to ask Zach Galifianakis or Barack Obama? And he just kind of digs in as deep as possible while at the same time being casual and funny and and really endearing, I guess. You know, he's not afraid to poke fun at himself. He's, you know, he himself has had some interesting past. You know, he's an alcoholic and he's gotten in a lot of altercations with friends and family. And he's just very real and honest. But at the same time, he really respects the listener. And I think that's really important if they're going to invest an hour or two, you know, in his case, I think sometimes episodes are an hour and a half. They're going to invest that time. Um, Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell is a classic case of really well-researched, really well-thought-of storytelling and a great deep dive into a story, a situation, a topic, in this case, things that have gone on in the past. So much of why people listen to podcasts is to learn. I mean, I think just in general, Malcolm Gladwell has always been that perfect blend of like, I already know these things, but I'm going to tell you them because they're so fascinating and I I just can't keep them to myself. And so he does such an incredible job of imparting his understanding on certain things and really giving the listener an opportunity to touch on some topics and ideas that very few people are talking about and discussing. And I think it's just an incredible listening experience as well. Well Well-produced, you know, respecting the listener. But I'm really fascinated by uh, the lily pad theory of work in which we hop from pad to pad as our curiosities you know, dictate to us. It's like, oh, hey, I'm interested. I'm going to hop over to that one. And then you gain that knowledge and you hop over to that one. Curiosities, for a lack of a better word, have you been able to stack together in the work you currently do? Oh, that's such a great question. I think, I think my whole, yeah, my whole career has been this lily pad, but even like within my career, I've tried to keep things as sort of lily pad-esque as possible, yeah. uh, which is why I love the advertising industry so much. I always give this analogy that when I was growing up, we had friends of the family who owned a locksmith business. It's very successful. I remember thinking when I was a kid that that's cool, that's great. But at the end of the day, I don't know if I could go to work every day and deal with locks and keys. My dad would always remind me, he's like, you own your business, it's so much more than just locks and keys, it's HR and it's marketing. And and I'm like, I get it. Like, I get that. But at the end of the day, he's getting out of bed and he's thinking about locks and keys and that sort of like subject matter. And to me, that gave me anxiety. And I think a lot of it comes down to not being able to settle on sort of a focus. I got into advertising because I love the fact that on any given day, I was thinking about, you know, the automobile industry and I had a butcher for a client and a hotel and then a bank and the dairy marketing board and the egg marketing board and, and Netflix did all the campaign work for BC Lotteries and Lotto Max and 649. And, and so to me, that just kept my brain just like constantly firing. And I did the same thing with JAR where, yes, I'm the CEO of the company and I'm dealing with HR and the bank and marketing, but we also get to build these little projects and work with these different clients. And that's always going to be the constant in whatever I continue to do. I've stacked things, but also stacked within stacking things. It's like Russian nesting dolls. 
In getting JAR Audio off the ground, what strengths did you draw on? Also, what glaring weakness did you know that you had to address? I'll answer the weakness part first. I'm very weak when it comes to the financial side of things. I've got a bookkeeper and an accountant, and I brought in advisors to, to help in that area. As far as strengths go, it, I was always able to build teams and foster relationships and create service that meets the needs of the client, whatever it is that we're doing. I'm really good at having that empathy to know they need this, let's, you know, let's solve it this way, or they need that, let's solve it this way. And so bringing a sort of a client service lens to everything that we do was a huge advantage to, to the company. And then also having the experience of working in agencies and I'm not saying that agencies are the perfect business model ever, and, but I did see the advantage of being able to structure the company in, a, in somewhat of a similar way, which I think gave us a bit of a competitive advantage, but also has allowed us to scale as much as possible. So I got the same question, but with a little twist. The thinking about doing something is much different than when you're actually in it. Was there a strength that you didn't know you had that just came to the forefront as a result of doing that work? A strength I didn't know I had. That's a great question. I think I think being able to, I've always been a leader, but I mean, I've never really had the circumstance to have all eyes on you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Yes, I was a leader within the agency, but I wasn't at the top of the agency. You know, yes, I was a leader on certain accounts, but I wasn't at the top of account. Here I'm at the tip of the spear, which sounds super lame and cocky, but I, I guess what I'm saying is like... But there's three of you at the tip of the spear. There is. There totally is. But also, um, there are certain things that my partners have given me the go-ahead to be that guy when it comes to communicating the vision and values and mission of the company, which turns out I'm really good at, but I've never had to really do that before. <laughs> I am going to put you on the spot. If you could lead every podcast, because this is your wheelhouse right now, so if you could lead every podcast or every show with one song, what would it be? Uh, Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. One, I just love the... Yeah. Like, I just think that's a good way to start a podcast. But then also, it's just a reminder to just kind of keep plugging away and always try to improve and never really settle for, uh, you know, for average. I think that is a fantastic place to end. Thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate your time. Yeah, great okay. chatting with you. Thank you, Roger. Thanks, Justin. Mm -hmm.